11 underway on this Monday here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Uh, Herc, what is it about learning a new language? The first thing they teach you is always the bad words, right? It's your buddies. It's your friends. That's, <laughs> that's the road you're going to go down. I don't know if I would have admitted that, but uh, whatever, Ricardo. Uh, Herc, do you know what day it is today? It is Monday. It is Monday. Do you know the date? Uh, October 10th. October 10th, which makes it the uh, five-year anniversary of the footballing tragedy uh, that took place in Cuba when the U.S. lost to Trinidad and Tobago, missed out on the 2018 World Cup. We'll have plenty more uh, on that later in the show. We got a lot, Herc, coming up in this edition of Football Americas. We got all the reaction to Major League Soccer's decision day, what chaos that was on Sunday. We got to cover the repechaje, or play-in in Liga Mekis, which gave us plenty of drama over the weekend. Plus, we'll take a quick preview of the U.S. Women's National team against Spain that on Tuesday, a game you can catch on ESPN2. But Herc, let's start the show in the European theater, specifically London and Christian Pulisic, who was playing for Chelsea over the weekend. Chelsea playing host to Wolves at Stamford Bridge. Not only was Christian Pulisic in the starting lineup, he was on the score sheet as well, getting his first goal of the Premier League season in the 54th minute. There it is. Nice finish at the near post as Chelsea went on to win the game 3-0. Three points that moves them higher up into the table, actually into the top four right now, fourth in the Premier League. Here's what Chelsea manager Graham Potter had to say about Pulisic after the game. Obviously goals from Kai, from Christian, and how important for Armando to come off the bench and score his first Chelsea goal. Yeah, really, really happy for him because uh, he's been doing that. He's been coming off the bench and having an impact, and I think you see the quality that he has. Um, but obviously, you know, to score is really important for the forwards. But I was pleased with it, all the guys that scored today because they've all had to wait and be patient and... Um, and, and, and obviously, if they're scoring, it, it helps the confidence, it helps the belief in each, in each other, and it's great for the group. Okay, Herc, the question here, what did Christian Pulisic prove to Graham Potter with his start and his goal over the weekend? Christian Pulisic proved nothing. We've been down this road before. With Frank Lampard, where at one point he was one of the most productive players in the Premier League. With Thomas Tuchel, when in that Champions League run, he was most, one of the most important players of that team. And now under Graham Potter, the moments, the pockets of moments are there. But when it comes to Christian Pulisic and when it comes to coaches, he needs to earn their trust. This is why he's not proved anything as of yet. But these moments are going to hmm. build that trust, do more to increment that trust as a manager. But I like what I'm hearing out of Graham Potter. Forget about what I'm hearing. The play, the overall play suits Christian Pulisic, especially where he's playing him and where he's entrusting him to play. I'm going to read you really quick. Graham Potter, he's a human being. He wants to play. He wants to help. It's about how you put the players on the pitch so it suits them. The role that Christian was good, was, the role that Christian Pulisic was at was a good one for him. It was high and wide left. He could attack the back line. It was nice for him to score. He understands the strengths. He understands he needs to put Christian Pulisic or his players in a position to succeed. I love that. But if we're going to talk what does it mean, it doesn't mean anything until Christian Pulisic does it continually. 
Wow. I think he proved a lot. I think he proved he's capable of starting Herc, and, like, that's the discussion he should be in. Before, the discussion was, is he going to get any minutes at all? The first three games under Potter was six minutes, six minutes, zero minutes. So this is a place where he gets the start, he gets the goal. I think that's great. He also proves he can be a part of the solution uh, for the problem which Graham Potter's going to have to solve and cost Thomas Tuchel his job. Chelsea wasn't scoring a whole lot of goals. They scored three against AC Milan. They scored three again here. The last time they scored three goals in a game, before that, you got to go all the way back to last season. So for me, this is a, a huge moment for Christian Pulisic. The other thing that I really like from his performance in this game, and early on, I don't know if you agree with me here, it felt like he was pressing a little bit, but I saw that as a guy who was feeling the urgency, acknowledging that this was like a, a one-time shot with a start to prove to Potter what he could do. And early on in that game, he was aggressive. It didn't yeah. always come off, but he was very, very aggressive. We, we not always We've seen that from Pulisic. Some people have called him timid, shy. He does kind of have that attitude. I think we saw a very aggressive Christian Pulisic, an assertive Christian Pulisic, and I'm so glad it paid off with the goal because that's really what folks are going to focus on. Okay, uh, Christian Pulisic was the most dangerous player for Chelsea, uh, hands down, regardless of what the British pundits or what these commentators that were commentating this game would lead us to believe that's <laughs> the case. He was the most dangerous player. But a little context, it was against Wolves. Wolves is in yeah. relegation zone right now. Wolves has only scored three goals total all season. Uh, they were pinned back the whole time. Good for Christian Pulisic, but we've been down this road before. You need to continue to do it. You need to build that trust, earn that trust. I'm glad you picked up on the announcers, too, because I, I was like, man, they're being pretty harsh on Christian Pulisic here. Sometimes I don't know if that's our red, white, and blue uh, colored glasses. Uh, I never know, but I, I think I saw a lot of that on Twitter, too, that the announcers were being, were being tough on Pulisic. Next game for Chelsea against AC Milan on Wednesday, or actually on Tuesday. So that'll be very interesting, right? We figured he gets to start over the weekend. There's a big rotation under Potter. What's the role in the Champions League? Is it going to be six minutes or is it going to be half an hour? Because that that's what you need for Christian Pulisic. You can't put him on for five or ten minutes. He's never going to make the impact that Potter's talking about him potentially making. He needs at least a half hour. So if the Milan games presents that opportunity, the last one really didn't. I got to see more out of him. I, I want to see that if he's not going to be a starter, it's got to be a real super sub role, not like charity minutes at the end of the game. That all depends on how the game is going and what the game offers you. I mean, it's 3-0. And then you had offensive players coming in the last 10, 15 minutes of the game. So it depends on what you will get while you're playing Milan in Milan. Uh, but I understand with you what you're, the sentiment you are going for. He needs to be much more than just a role player. Uh, you mentioned the Potter quote, Potter after the game. I don't know if you saw this. Absolutely loves Mason Mount. So the other good thing that comes out of this game is we see again the mount Pulisic chemistry. I don't think Mount's coming out of that lineup the no. way Potter talks hey. about him. Yeah, people, people get the wrong—I'm sorry, I didn't mean to catch you up. I'm just saying people get the wrong idea when it comes to Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic. They want to pit him against each other when I think yeah. he's one of his biggest allies. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make a great combo. They showed that again. And my point is, Mount ain't coming out of that lineup. So if you prove that you can play with him, you got a yep. much better chance, I think, uh, uh, of playing. All right, let's run it back with a few more Americans, Herc, that scored over the weekend because Christian Pulisic wasn't the only one uh, on the scoring chart. We'll start with Josh Sargent, who got his seventh goal of the season for Norwich City. It came in a 3-2 loss against Preston North End. What do you think about this finish, Herc? Well, you talk about being aggressive for uh, Christian Pulisic. How about this? Steals the ball, runs that, guys. Seventh of the season. That's nine goal involvements. Only Oscar Estupiñan of Hull City has more. This guy is lighting it up in the championship. 
Sargent played the full 90 minutes in this game. It was his 13th league appearance. Norwich right now uh, second in the table, even with points uh, with your championship leaders, Sheffield United. Ricardo Pepe, he didn't score once. He scored twice on Friday as Groningen lost 3-2, uh, to two, Herc. Once from the penalty spot, and it looked like he had to, to fight to earn this one with some teammates. So Pepe stepping up to score and to take the PKs. Yeah, that was a good goal, the PK right there. I don't know if you saw the second goal. This is ridiculous. Watch, watch the heads-up play here. Give and go. Boom! In between players. Sick little finish. Uh, according to Opta Johan, Ricardo Pepe is the first player this century to be directly involved in five goals in his first four Eredivisie matches. That's, that's insane. Pepe now four goals in his last three games. Here's what the 19-year-old had to say after the match. First goal. Penalty. Uh, there was a, a little discussion or not? Yeah, of course, you know, it's always, it always happens, you know, of course, you know, being the new player here, but, you know, being the striker, I feel like it has to come, you know, especially after scoring the last game. And, of course, I talked to Tomas, I talked to um, Laros, and, you know, there were players that supported me. They were like, are you feeling good today? I was like, okay, I'm feeling good. So then they let me take it. So who was on the on number one at the list? You know, I feel like it's just a feeling thing, you know, of course, you know, I like to take my PKs, um, Tomas does as well, so, you know, it's, I was feeling it at the moment, and he was just like, if you feel it, then you can take it. You don't have a, a one, two, three on the list in the, in the dressing room? No, no, not that I know of, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and a striker has to take the penalty kicks, right? Yeah, I feel like, you know, coming off a good moment, coming off a good two games, you know, I feel like, you know, I have all the confidence in the world, so I think I should take this. You have all the confidence in the world? Yeah, I feel like, you know, as a, as a individual, you know, performance, I think, you know, I've been scoring goals, I've been feeling good, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> talked about uh, the national team briefly last week uh, one question I want to ask about that is the coach of the USA does he what does he say about FC Groningen and the way you can develop here no he he says something about you know the club of course as a big club you know they develop a lot of young players and a lot of like players big players and he also said about the league you know the league he said that it's a good league for young players as well and then that I if if I really want to I can I can work through the league yeah. I love that interview uh, from Ricardo Pepe as we take a statistical look at the U.S. striker pool. Of course, we know there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. So, Herc, are you buying Pepe's recent hot streak, or do you think this is another flash in the pan for the youngster? No, no, no. I I'm buying on Ricardo Pepe's recent hot streak because that's mm -hmm. who Ricardo Pepe is. That's who the best nines in the world are. They go through these streaks. They go through these rachas, if you will, where they're hot and they know they're hot. And what I love most is confidence. And the reporter touched on it, and Ricardo Pepe touched on it. Mm. Oftentimes, that confidence gets confused with arrogance. And, and sometimes it is arrogant. But that's what I want from Ricardo Pepe. If there's one forward on this national team that had equity built in with the U.S. men's national team and with Greg Berhalter, it was Ricardo Pepe. Go back to the opening window. Go back to the first half of World Cup qualifying. It's Ricardo Pepe who saved Greg Berhalter's job. It's Ricardo Pepe who was leading the team in goals. It's Ricardo Pepe who was facilitating and making that team play in the offensive third. Cold streak. Uh, Osberg, obviously, not the right move for him. Now finds mm. himself in the Eredivisie, and he's hot again. And this is the only possible thing that could justify his inclusion into mm. the World Cup, and he's doing it. So I'm trying to think... If we're going to play devil's advocate here, like, why wouldn't you buy Ricardo Pepe's goals, right? He is, this is who he is. He is very, very streaky, right? And so I think we have to put that into context. Yes, there's a goals now. There's been goals before. But as you say, you know, the best strikers in the world have their dry patches. Not for 11 months, okay? There's a big, big gap there for Ricardo Pepe between goals. So I think when we talk about Ricardo Pepe, we can't really say that 
he's going to go to Qatar and have a real guarantee of scoring you goals, what? right? If we, if we turn this to the U.S. national team. So why are you taking him then? You're what, taking what, him what for... Forward? You're, ta well, you're taking him for the other things, right? You're taking him for the other things. I think you've said this before. There are other guys, Josh Sargent, Jesus Ferreira, who do those other things better than Ricardo Pepe. So if we're going to compare Pepe to the other goal scorer in the group, PFOC, it's a much safer bet that PFOC is going to get you those goals. So for me, I'm not buying it. And there's another reason I'm not buying it. I know, you, I know you're going to hate this. <laughs> How much, Herc, how much is an Eredivisie goal actually worth? And so people don't think I'm just picking on, on U.S. players. There's a multiple examples of this, right? Sorry, we've seen CONCACAF players. We've seen CONCACAF Sorry, players. Luis Suarez. Dominate Eredivisie. I'm not talking about Luis Suarez. I'm not talking about Luis Suarez. I'm talking about CONCACAF players who dominate in Holland and then go elsewhere. And they don't produce the same. It's Chucky Lozano. It's Josie Altador. There's, there's a list on both sides of this border, Herc. So... Let me put it to you this way. If Ricardo Pepe scores, Damn. I don't know, six goals, six goals be between here and the World Cup, and at Union Berlin playing in the Bundesliga, a much better level, Jordan Peefock scores three, are you going to give Pepe the edge? This man is throwing strays at everybody. Chucky Lozano caught one. Josie Altidore caught one. Ronaldo, Luis Suarez. Uh, it doesn't matter what I think or what you think because Greg Berhalter, this guy, is the guy making the decisions, and he's indebted to Pepe. He's mm. indebted to Pepe. If somebody has equity on this national team, I will repeat, if one forward has that equity, it's Ricardo Pepe. And for whatever reason, and I don't agree with it, Jordan Pifak is not of his taste, not of mm. his acquired taste. And you could equate an Eredivisie goal, what that sure. means, or an MLS goal, what that means, or a goal in the Bundesliga, but Greg Berhalter has started a guy that's scoring not Eredivisie goals, yeah. not Bundesliga goals, not championship goals, but MLS goals at the number nine position. That's where your argument goes out the window. Well, I just think if you want diversity in your striker pool, you have, you have three guys who are streaky scorers, but very good at facilitating off the ball. And you have a guy in PFOC who we've all seen is maybe not that good at facilitating, but scores. Don't you want at least one different option well, in there? It's a bit unfair to Jordan PFOC. He's been an incredible facilitator this season. I think that's the one thing he's added to his game. I understand what you're saying, but where in the World Cup cycle or in the process of the Greg Berhalter has he shown mm. us he's trusted Jordan PFOC? I'm like, listen. I would love to sit here with a straight face and tell you Jordan Pifak is going to go. I think he deserves to go because right. he is the actual hot hand that never cooled off. But what in Greg Berhalter's actions tells you that's going to happen? No, you're right. You're right. Uh, it seems certainly like now Pifak uh, would be the last man out, at least if we look at the last roster that, uh, that the U.S. and Greg Berhalter called up. So Ricardo Pepe, we just mentioned, he's 19 years old. So five years ago, he would have been 14 years old, and it was exactly five years ago today that the U.S. was in Cuba and lost 2-1 to one against Trinidad in Tobago. Of course, that defeat, coupled with a variety of other results, we should say, guaranteed that the U.S. would miss out on the World Cup for the first time since 1986. It's been half a decade, Herc. Has U.S. soccer made the necessary changes since this all-time debacle? I don't know about changes, but for, for a second, let's put things in a context. Look at everything that had to happen for the U.S. men's national team to have that wake-up call. And I'm calling it a wake-up call. Forget missing the World Cup. Just a wake-up call. The U.S. men's national team had to lose to Trinidad and Tobago, who are already out. Okay? Mm. 
Mexico had to lose to Honduras. Costa Rica had to lose to Panama. Panama scores a phantom goal that never goes in. All these things happen. The stars align. And the U.S. men's national team, who had a 3% chance of missing the World Cup, before that game happened, misses the World Cup. Uh -huh, but you can't call them unlucky. They had 10 games. No, no, 10 no, no. Games I'm not calling them unlucky. Out. I'm not calling them unlucky. I'm telling you what happened for the wake-up call. Listen to my words. The wake-up call. U.S. soccer desperately needed this wake-up call. That wake-up call happens, and what happens? Was it a fair U.S. men's national team coaching search? Is that what happened? Or did Jay Berhalter, the number two most powerful man in the Federation, hire his brother? Were there only two people who were actually interviewed? Was Tata Martino, who at that time was killing it, not even in the running because he didn't speak English? Julian Lopetegui, who actually was interested in the job, didn't speak English. You can't have it. So what I'm trying to tell you right now, how much has really changed? Greg Berhalter took a group hmm. of young players, a pool of young players, and pretty much said, all these veteran players, you are out. That pandemic hit, which I think actually gave Greg Berhalter time, time with these young players, got rid of these older players, and he stuck with them. And somewhere along those lines, you saw growth of a lot of different players, hmm. prime players today in the U.S. men's national team. But if you're asking me if enough has changed in U.S. soccer, no. Look at everything that transpired under the umbrella, on the men's side, on the women's side, who is still involved, where they are involved. Not enough has changed in these five years. It's going in a better direction, sure, but because where the bar was. Yeah, I like, I like how you called it a wake-up call, because it really did feel like something so dramatic that things had to be done. If you remember, uh, Sunil Gulati was the president of U.S. soccer at that time. He'd basically been in charge for more than a decade. He took over in 2016. There was a moment in there when you thought Sunil Gulati was going to be president of U.S. soccer for life. If they don't yeah. fail to qualify for that World Cup, Herc, I don't think he steps away. And there's other things that happen in the aftermath of that, right? With Sunil Gulati out of the presidency, you have that crazy presidential race of 2018. And what comes out of that, which I think is really important, it's kind of like a bureaucratic thing, but we've talked about it before on this show, is the uncoupling of U.S. soccer yep. and Soccer United Marketing, which we know is the marketing arm of MLS. And that independence for the Federation, for me, is something that is huge for all of American soccer. Long term, it may hurt MLS, but for all of American soccer, and that includes the national team, I think that uncoupling, that breakup was very good. I don't think that happens if Sunil Gulati is still president, and I don't think that Sunil Gulati is not the president if, anymore if the U.S. had indeed qualified and beaten or drawn against Trinidad. So I think there was some major, major changes, Herc, that, that are really, really critical that frankly don't happen if the U.S. doesn't lose and doesn't get eliminated there. You're right. Remind me really quick, who stayed with some with Soccer United Marketing? Ah, U.S.'s main rivals uh, south of the border, of course. Uh, FMF keeps the, uh, keeps the model going. The other thing I would point out if, we're, if we want to complain about things that haven't changed, uh, if you remember, after that defeat, people were talking about a lot of big-picture things that were wrong in American soccer. And something that came up a lot, which is very near and dear to me as a former youth soccer coach, is the pay-to-play model for kids, right? Because if you don't have a free or a cheap or an accessible system, you don't get a lot of people in that system. Your national team is going to eventually suffer for that. I don't think that's changed, Herc. I still work in that space a little bit. Youth soccer is still super expensive. Dude, you got a kid that's about to start. You got to take on like a second or third job if she's going to be in travel soccer, right? That's right. That's exactly what you got to do. It's an unfortunate uh, event in U.S. soccer or in our landscape mm -hmm. where it's still very much an elitist sport. Uh, things have to change if soccer wants to continue to grow in the right direction in this country.
All right, Herc, uh, time to fire up an injury update here on Football Americas. And this injury watch is actually kind of uplifting. Uh, we don't get these very often. Let's start with Anthony Robinson. He returns from an ankle injury to play 90 minutes for Fulham. They did lose 3-1 to Weston, but uh, good to have him back. Yeah, Herc? He's so important to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, the de facto starter on the left-hand side. 37 days have passed since he was pulled out of that game with injury. Yeah, you know who else went 90 minutes in this game? Who? Your boy Tim Ream. Oh, yeah. Right. He, yeah, look, he's right. having a good season, man. Uh, Yunus Musa, he's back as well, coming off a groin injury. Played 28 minutes off the bench as Valencia beat Osasuna 2-1. to one. Another big player for the U.S. pool. Yeah, no, no player had their stock move so much in the direction of up. Last window versus Japan and Saudi Arabia like Yunus Musa, and he played zero minutes. <laughs> Right. It's one of those. I didn't show up, but I did better than everybody else. Cameron Carter-Vickers, he returns uh, to the starting lineup as well in a 2-1 victory over St. Johnstone, one that has Celtic in first place, two points ahead of their rivals, Rangers. You look at that little thing on his left uh, shoulder or arm right there? That's the captain's armband, my man. My man made himself home. He's got a home for himself. Good for Cameron Carter-Vickers. Of course, uh... Missing out on the last camp because of that injury. Might have been a huge opportunity to grab that spot next to Walker Zimmerman. Gio Reyna. Well, he didn't play, but he's close. Uh, Eden Terzic, Dortmund manager, saying Reyna will be available for tomorrow's Champions League showdown with Sevilla. Yes, Herc. Yes, finally. Um, that was 13 days ago when he came out injured. Seems quick, given his history. I I'm a bit surprised. I'm no medic, but this is a little surprising for me. Oh, really? Okay. All right, well, Gio didn't play uh, in Der Klassiker over the weekend, but Alfonso Davies did. He got the start as Bayern Munich and Dortmund drew 2-2 on Saturday. Unfortunately, Davies actually had to leave the game in the 45th minute uh, after being kicked in the head. You see it there by Jude Bellingham. Uh, Bayern Munich in a statement calling Davies' injury a cranial bruise. Uh, Herc, we're what, five, six weeks to the World Cup? How big a concern is Alfonso Davies' injury for the Canadian men's national team? You are 41 days from the World Cup. Um, if what Kicker is reporting is true, he'll only miss this Wednesday's game and he'll be back Sunday for the Fre uh, Freiburg game. Freiburg, excuse me. I'm still worried because it is a head injury and you mm. never know with these head injuries. I I'm no medic. I'm not going to comment on how long I think he's going to be out for or not out for. What I will say is Alfonso Davies is arguably the best left back in the world. And with the Canadian national team, he plays left back, he plays left wing, he plays underneath the forward, he plays as a 10. He is the heartbeat of that mm. team. He really is the soul of that team. I have Canada surprising people in their group. In a group with Croatia, in a group with Belgium, a group with Morocco, I think they can surprise. But they have no player besides Alfonso Davies, who has, who has in an, an elite level. They are the sum of their parts. They need every single one of their players to do damage in that World Cup and make waves. Without Alfonso Davies, I don't see that happening. I know during World Cup qualifying, we saw this, but there's a big leap from CONCACAF to the world stage. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that it sounds like he could return quick. The club officially saying no timetable for his return. I'm with you on the head injury, right? It's this great unknown. I think from a CONCACAF perspective, like we would always think of Raul Jimenez. Uh, and that was obviously a, a much more serious injury, it appears, than what happened to Alfonso Davies. But even go to something like Chucky Lozano at the Gold Cup, right? Um, which is also a very serious injury. Again, it appears more so than what Alfonso Davies uh, had happened to him over the weekend. But both those injuries 
changed those players, right? And especially in the case of Chucky Lozano, he's even commented about how he is not the same player that he was pre-injury. So I worry about it in that regard. Like, what player will Alfonso Davies be? What version of Davies will Canada have in Qatar? Because it's not her, just this injury. It's also, what, the months out with myocarditis? Like, this has not been a year of health and consistent play for Alfonso Davies. I'm intrigued to say that, that you don't think the, the, the action in CONCACAF will translate, like the success they had without him in CONCACAF will translate to the World Cup. Obviously, I'm with you, right? Huge jump from playing El Salvador to, to playing Belgium or Croatia or whoever it might be uh, in the World Cup. But certainly, that'll give this group confidence, right? Like, it won't be a shock. They won't be uncomfortable if Davies isn't there. Man, you're playing at a World Cup. Anybody who can give you that plus, I won't go as far as saying they're going to be a worse team without Alfonso Davies, but they won't be the best version of themselves. Of and when you're in the World Cup, that's what you want. When you want to surprise, because I think not many people have them pegged to get out of that group, it's going to be Belgium and Croatia. I actually think they can do some damage. I think Belgium's on a little uh, longer in the tooth, so is Croatia. I think in transition, they can really cause some problems. I think they have the model to succeed in a tournament where you're going to play every three, four game, or days. You're going to have a game. But that starts and finishes with the heartbeat of that team, Alfonso Davies, who's the best player in CONCACAF right now. Yep. So how could you feel comfortable not having the best player in CONCACAF if you're a CONCACAF team on your team? Yeah, they won uh, four of six in qualifying without him, but they won the first three that were really critical and basically got them, not over the line, but close enough to it that they could kind of take their foot off the gas in that last qualifying window. So Alfonso Davies hoping for a quick return for Bayern Munich and eventually the Canadian men's national team. More news from the Bundesliga here. Uh, Herc, more CONCACAF-related news, not of the good kind. Stuttgart manager and good friend of the show, Pellegrino Matarazzo, has been relieved of his duties. The 44-year-old from New Jersey, took over Stuttgart late in 2019, but with the team winless in their first nine games of the season, Matarazzo has been dismissed. Stuttgart right now sits 17th in the table, next to last in the Bundesliga. Let's keep our eye on Pellegrino Matarazzo and see where the New Jersey native ends up next. All right, speaking of the Bundesliga, the action continues this weekend on ESPN+. On Sunday, it's Union Berlin hosting Borussia Dortmund, number one versus number four, and hopefully, hopefully, Jordan Pifok versus Gio Reyna. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The 
playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, the Major League Soccer Decision Day. This was the big one in the Eastern Conference. Winning you're in, Orlando Columbus. Derek at the end putting Columbus up 1-0. Yeah, it's a sweet little goal, goal right here. Give and go with Celarayan. Sweet finish. He picks up an injury here at the end, Junior. Uh, and then it went from bad to worse for Columbus. Junior Urso tying it up right there. That's right. Now, Columbus still okay here, right? They were through with the draw after Junior Urso makes it 1-1. We'll get another look at it here. This goal coming in the 56th minute. And then in the 82nd minute, a penalty called on Columbus. No complaints here, right, Herc? Uh, it's a handball. He turns his body. The shot's going on goal. He blocks the shot. It's a stone wall handball. It's unfortunate if you're Columbus. Ah. They go to VAR. Yes, sir. We're going to the spot. Facundo Torres. Boy, he has been so good for Orlando. So clutch, too. He buries it 2-1. to one. Orlando are in. Columbus is out. As we take a look at the final Eastern Conference table, Philadelphia Union, they clinch the number one seed in the East and the bye that comes with it after they thumped Toronto FC, Montreal, New York City, and the New York Red Bulls will all host playoff games in round one. But there you see it, number eight, Columbus, out of the postseason, and on Monday we found out Caleb Porter was sacked. Herc, less than two years after delivering an MLS Cup to Columbus, did Porter deserve to be fired? Yeah, it all starts and ends with him. This is the second state street season that the MLS Cup champs of what was it, 2020 ended mm -hmm. up not going to the playoffs. And what's crazy about Caleb Porter is this is a man that's never had back-to-back -back playoff seasons. In nine years in charge, no back-to-back -back playoff seasons. But he won two MLS Cups. This is a coach of the year in one of those years. And for whatever reason, he can't get his team to play consistently. That's hmm. on the coach. I, I don't know what to even say here. These are numbers. It's not even an opinion. You can't get your team to play in a manner where they can make consecutive playoff appearances. You don't deserve to be there. This is a very ambitious club. There was that whole uh, Save the Crew movement with new ownership, showed ambition, a brand new stadium. You need to do something to be a consistent player in that market and in Major League Soccer. Caleb Porter took him as far as he could. I, I don't disagree with you, but I want to dig down on Porter just a little bit. Like, how do we explain that? Because I feel like not a lot of people were surprised that Porter was let go, but there's a real short list, Herc, of coaches that have won two MLS Cups at different clubs in a five-year span, right? He's obviously a good or successful coach. Why does he have seemingly such a short shelf life at these different clubs? Like, why, why can't he repeat the success? He seems, to a guy, he seems to be a guy that burns bridges, right, within the club, uh, outside of the club. Nine seasons, I believe, in Major League Soccer. He's only had four playoff appearances. Uh, but when he does make a playoff appearance, they're dangerous teams. They're teams that yeah. make it to the final. They're teams that win. He's won two MLS Cups. It's not an easy thing to win MLS Cup, let alone two with two different teams. But there seems to be at least the outside perception that that ends – with the overall feeling of the day-to-day -day of having to work mm. with Caleb Porter. Uh, and it's a shame because he's shown that he has a penchant for producing some talented teams. Excuse me. 
Yeah, you know what else is interesting? Because you were talking about, like, the ambition Columbus showed. The, the money they've spent is on the field, too. Don't forget that Cucho Hernandez signing. Yep. That was a, that's, that's a $10 million, is that right, transfer fee that they paid a team in the championship for a guy who was, remember— remember, was not going to sell tickets, was never going to like, was never going to yep. get you ratings on TV. That was an on-field win now. And by the way, that guy delivered. Bezchenko nine goals and two assists. Bezchenko uh, knocked it out the park with a signing, uh, Tim Bezchenko. Really quickly, how many points did they lose after the mm. 85th minute? That's on the coach when it continues yeah. to happen over and over and over again. And the news that Caleb Porter made this season, or at least the headlines, were more his mouth off the field than mm. actually the team on the field. Yeah, like the guarantees, the promises, right? Which he also did in Portland. I mean, and, yeah. and when you promise something to the fans, to the ownership, whoever, you, you got to deliver or you're out. Uh, last point to, to what you were talking about. 24 points dropped from winning positions for the crew. There are some stats that I say, all right, this stat is a player stat. There are other stats that I'm like, all right, this is a coaching stat. And I think we clearly know which category uh, that stat falls into. All right, let's move on to the Western Conference, Herc, where there was a, a couple big uh, make-or-break games. Uh, Minnesota beat Vancouver. That wasn't much of a surprise. But RSL was hosting Portland and got off to a great start 19 minutes in. Vamos, Venezuela! Jefferson Savarino, a golazo. So, and then RSL later on adding to it here in the 48. Look at that golazo from Rubio Rubin, Hart. Yeah, Rubio Rubin, a uh, nice little play right here. Uh, Rubio Rubin, who got the start and no Bobby Wood injured, no Krylak injured. He needed to be that man alongside Cordoba. He was. Check this goal out. Little back heel here. And then go ahead, Hidalgo. Go ahead, my man. Woo! I called this game, by the way. This game was never close. No, it was really shocking. Uh, Portland kind of did not show up. They did get a gol del honor late in the match. Uh, shocker. It was a big game, and they got a goal late from Dairon Aspria. Unfortunately, uh, for Portland, it was not enough. Uh, as they fall 3-1, and RSL grabs that last playoff spot. Portland Timbers, who last year were not just in MLS Cup, but hosted it, will miss the postseason. There you see them, 8 in the final Western Conference table, LAFC in the number one seed, they'll get the bye. Austin, Dallas, and Galaxy will host round one games. And once again, Portland missing out on the postseason a year after playing an MLS Cup. All right, so Caleb Porter got fired today. What about in Portland? Is Gio Savarese on the hot seat? Yeah, before I answer that really quickly, the Portland Timbers, the Vancouver Whitecaps, and the Seattle Sounders have been together in three separate leagues throughout their history, NASL, mm. USL, and MLS. This is the first time all three are going to be not in postseason in one of those three uh, chapters. So that, that is crazy to me. Um, no, Gio is safe, my man. Gio is safe. Mm. When, when you look at just, – let's just go back and look at what he's done, okay? When he came up from the Cosmos to Portland, uh, you're talking about a guy who's already made two MLS Cups, okay? Uh, he won an MLS Cup is back tournament – Remember, MLS is back during the pandemic. He actually won that tournament. And look at everything that happened in Portland. Mm. Uh, this year, uh, forget about the injuries. Remember Andy Polo, the, the yep. Portland Thorns situation with Gavin Wilkinson, with Golob, the whole, the whole mess that transpired there. And he still has a winning record. And he still got this team to one game of making another postseason run. This, to me, was more you got let down in the worst possible time. Yep in the worst possible moment. You face a team in Rousseau Lake who are winless in the last five. Who, who, who the biggest threat they had playing at home over the last 10-something years was Portland.
Portland had the best record in Sandy, Utah, of any MLS team, and you choked that away in a game you were never there. But this isn't really on Gio. I look at Gio's record. I look at everything he's accomplished. He still has a lot of equity there. So he's not on the hot seat primarily, Herc, because there's no one to put him on the hot seat, right? We know Merritt Paulson has stepped away, allegedly, from decision decision making with the Portland Thorns and Timbers. Gavin Wilkinson's been fired. So who's going to put Gio Savarese on the hot seat? Can I tell you something? I actually think no one is happier that the Timbers are out of the playoffs than Merritt Paulson. It takes the Timbers out of the headlines. It takes him out of the headlines. And I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if it was today or yesterday. Alaska Air, a big sponsor for the Portland Timbers and Thorns, is redirecting their sponsorship dollars. There is no way that Merritt Paulson keeps this team, if they're still in the playoffs, they're still in the headlines, and we're still talking about this. The only way, Herc, that Merritt Paulson is allowed to keep this team is if everybody forgets. And for the next three or four months, the Portland Timbers are going to be out of the headlines. And for Merritt Paulson, that gives them a much better chance of holding on to this team. The caveat to that is, if Merritt Paulson does end up having to sell this team and new ownership comes in, we know what new ownership likes to do, right? We saw it at Chelsea. Yep. We saw Thomas Tuchel with a Champions League title under his belt get ushered off thanks to the new ownership. So if new ownership comes in, you know in Portland they're going to want to do their own thing. And there I could see Gio Savarese starting next season on the hot seat. New ownership, coming off not making the playoffs, then I could see it. You agree? I do agree, which would be a shame because Ned Grababoy, I think, is going to be a rising star in that GM position. Mm. And I think Giovanni Savarese has shown what he can do at the Major League Soccer level. And not oftentimes do you see somebody coming from the second division, if you yeah. will, up into the higher leagues and doing so well. But I agree with everything you said about Merritt Paulson. This is probably the best piece of news he could have received. Mm. And Alaska Airlines, I mean, I applaud them. I wish more sponsors yeah. would do that. Yeah, there, there may be more coming. Alaska Air is a big one now, and they seem to be the, the first to take a stand. All right, so uh, we got the MLS playoff bracket set, Herc. Uh, what do you think is the most intriguing matchup uh, of round one? Uh, Galaxy versus Nashville. Mm. Uh, and, and that is easy to me because in the Galaxy Nashville, uh, you have Walker Zimmerman, U.S. Men's National Team player, and Hani Mukhtar, who, for my money, is not in the Golden Boot, but the MVP this year in Major League Soccer against a Galaxy team that's lost once in the last 11. And since Ricky Pooch, since Ricky Pooch has been in that lineup, they have been fire. Probably the hottest team in Major League Soccer. And there is no one hotter than Javier mm. Hernandez. This goal right there, quintessential Javier Hernandez laying it off, off into space, and the finish is nasty. Outside, the foot in the corner. Uh, they are as confident and as good as a team right now as you're going to see. And it's what's to come. Mm. And Nashville is a very good team, and you have to respect them. Uh, but the way the Galaxy is playing right now, they'll have to be considered favorites. And if the Galaxy get by Nashville, do you know what's in store? Ooh, El Trafico Playoff Edition? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Could be very good. Yeah, I, I like this pick because I think both of these teams could end up representing the Western Conference. I know that we think of like LAFC and Austin as kind of a, a class on their own, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if either of these two teams made a run. Certainly not Galaxy based on what we've seen from them in the last uh, couple months. So you want Western Conference with your most or best matchup. I viewed it as a little bit like more intriguing. What's the one that intrigued me the most? I went with the 3-6 matchup in the Eastern Conference, which is New York City against Inter-Miami. I'm intrigued because first of all, Herc, I'm very, very curious. Where is this game going to be played? As of right now, 
It looks like it'll be played at Red Bull Arena, but New York City is hoping to maybe, now that the New York Mets have been eliminated from the baseball playoffs, uh, play at City Field, which of course is the Mets' home. I don't know uh, if either of those would give New York City an advantage. We know they're pretty good in a baseball stadium, so maybe they want to be in uh, City Field uh, instead of in their rivals, Red Bull Arena. Uh, but real talk, I think Inter-Miami is one of the great stories of this season. They have really caught fire. And I wouldn't be surprised, Turk, if they make a little run here. Because, you know, New York City is not the team that they were when the season started. And even though they are the defending champs, I don't think they're at that level anymore. I don't believe they're at that level either. And I do agree if they're playing in a baseball stadium that's uh, smaller, tighter, it is conducive to their strengths. Uh, it's tough to bet against Inter-Miami right now. Um, the way that Phil has them playing, the way that Gonzalo Higuain has been playing as of late. This is a team that is scary in transition, and they've got one of the better players to come into Major League Soccer on resume playing at a very high <laughs> level. I, I agree with you. It's a very intriguing matchup. Yep. Uh, back to your intriguing matchup, which was, of course, uh, LA Galaxy against Nashville. One of the reasons you picked out was Hani Mukhtar, who, of course, clinched the golden boot, Herc, over the weekend. 23 goals for this player who has just lit up MLS this year. Finishes ahead of Sebastián Driussi and Daniel Gazdag, who had a great decision day to get to 22 goals. By the way, Herc, there are whispers of Mukhtar getting a late German national team call-up for his work in MLS. How about that? Nah, who said this? Oh, there's just whispers of it Who's in Germany. Whispers that in your ear? Uh, 23 uh, I goals. Saw, I saw an article. Okay. 23 goals, 11 assists. My man came to play this season. Hands down for me, uh, he's the MLS of Major League Soccer. All right, uh, MVP of Major League Soccer. Finally, the saga. That's what I said. Uh, no? Joseph Martinez uh, at Atlanta That's United MLS? continues. He's that too. <laughs> um, Atlanta lost 2-1 to New York City on Sunday. They finished 11th in the Eastern Conference, of course. Uh, well documented. They're missing the playoffs. Joseph Martinez didn't start. He came on at the halfway mark. And after the game, he refused comment other than to tell reporters to, quote, talk to Boca Negra and Pineda, who are, of course, the uh, technical director and the head coach. Herc, what do you think? Can the relationship between Joseph Martinez and Atlanta United be salvaged this offseason? Chicharito, Javier Hernandez himself has a better opportunity of salvaging something with Tata Martín, the Mexican <laughs> national team, than Joseph with Atlanta United. So um, you're telling me there's a chance. Arthur Blank, the owner of Atlanta United, the Atlanta Falcons, is the only person on earth who can save Joseph Martinez right isn't now. That the guy, isn't that the guy you want in your corner? You're going to war with the guy in the front office pulling the strings and the head coach pulling the strings on the field. And it's not the first time that Joseph Martinez has gone to war with a coach. He went to war with Frank DeBoer. He went to war with Heinze. And it was literally a standoff where he said, it's Heinze or me, and they chose him. He was injured, and when he came back from his injury, he wasn't the same player. He went to war with Gonzalo Pineda and lost out on that because he ended up being a player that came off the bench. Whether I liked it or not, and I didn't, yeah. I thought he deserved more minutes. He's a goal scorer, and that's what he did when he came off the bench for you. There's too many altercation situations where if I'm Arthur Blank, I cut my losses. There's no way you keep him at his rate of what he thinks he is worth if you're not getting the same productivity out of him. I don't see how he wins this. I don't see how Joseph stays in Atlanta. Yeah, so right now he's got one year left on his contract. It'll run through the next season. He's already requested, Herc, a, a postseason meeting with the front office to see what can be worked out. I wonder what you think the market would be for him elsewhere around Major League Soccer because there's obviously a track record, but he's about to turn 30, and he's coming off an ACL injury a few years ago. 
Do you think somebody would splash cash to get him? Do you think somebody would pick up the year on his current contract with Atlanta? Because those are big bucks for not guaranteed goals. And honestly, not guaranteed health, I think, at this point with Joseph Martinez. Yeah, not guaranteed health. I don't know who's willing to do it. He's a proven player, and when he's healthy, you're hard-pressed to find a better player in Major League Soccer, one of the most electrifying players in Major League Soccer. Is he history. that guy anymore? Is he that guy? I have not seen that in a year and a half, and it's yeah. unfortunate. Since that knee injury, and, and you're talking to a guy who had many knee, knee injuries, and he doesn't have that edge to him anymore on the field, that explosiveness. Uh, but I also don't think playing on turf was conducive to that. Maybe a change of scenery somewhere where it's grass, uh, somewhere where they value him, somewhere where he will have service because all he needs is service. Maybe he won't have that pace, that ability to explode anymore, but he's still got this and this, and that is plenty for Joseph Martinez. Does he have market value? Sure. Going right? I don't think so. A team like Colorado? I think that could Mm. be good. He's such an emotional player. I feel like he really has to be happy wherever he is to produce. Clearly, it seems like... Yeah, I like it. I like that shout. Uh, Clearly, it seems he's not happy anymore in Atlanta. We'll wait to see if things can be worked out. So the playoffs are upcoming. They won't feature Atlanta United and Joseph Martinez, but they will be on ESPN. We got a doubleheader this Sunday. Austin against RSL is the 2-7 matchup in the West. That'll be Sunday actually on ABC. And then Sunday night in the East, we also have the 2-7 matchup. It's Montreal against Orlando. That one on ESPN as the MLS Cup playoffs get underway. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. A wild weekend of repechaje. Action in Liga MX. Chivas Puebla, the 8-9 matchup. Puebla at home. They're up 1-0 late when Carlos Cisneros found the 96-minute equalizer, Herc. Yeah, Anthony's going to want that one back. He tries guessing like it's a penalty kick. It goes in the final minute. PKs. Yep, Israel Reyes, all 22 years old, uh, stepped up and hit a panenka after Jesus Angulo slipped and sent it over the bar. And then it came down to the final kick. Puebla trying to go five for... There it is. Trying to go five for five, and they did it. Uh, Puebla winning 5-4 in penalties uh, as Chivas missed Ligia. Herc, it's clearly time to clean house with Las Chivas de Guadalajara. But how deep should the house cleaning go? Should it be Ricardo Peláez, the sporting director? Should it be Ricardo Cadena, the head coach? Or should it be both? It has to be both. Um, Ricardo Peláez is self-explanatory. I mean, he came in with such 
hefty aspiration, such a big resume where he won everything at Club America. It didn't matter who he put as coach in three different chapters of his America time with three different coaches. He won titles. And then he goes to Cruz Azul and wins another title. So he comes to Chivas and he's supposed to do that. He's supposed to win. And we've got nothing from him. Uh, this hmm. is a guy that spent plenty of money, of Amaury Vergara's money, and nothing. And if you're talking about Cadena, I actually like Cadena. I just think, oh, you've been loving Cadena since last season, dude. Sometimes you can just admit that you're wrong. No, you no, 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 I told you he shouldn't even been there last season. I like Cadena and what he does with the youth, but I think that's his level. He's mm. trying to integrate youth into the system. Right. What he did last game, and by the way, they went winless now with this in the last six. Four competitive and two friendlies, winless. Outscored in that time, 14 to six, okay? Cadena is a guy that had two nines at his disposal, and you could say what you want about Saldivar or Reño if they're good or not, and decided to change everything up in the very last game and went with Alvarado and Alexis Vega as his two nines up top in a pivotal, a critical must-win game in El Estadio Cuauhtémoc. He got everything wrong. And maybe the resume, maybe the uniform, maybe the organization is too big for somebody like Cadena. But if it's Pelayas or if it's only Cadena, it can't be. It has to be both. The combo right now has shown that they don't work together and they cannot coexist. And I would explode everything. Wow, yeah. Um, so look, on Cadena... We, we talk about it all the time. Chivas has their policy. They're only going to use Mexican-born players, players who can represent the Mexican national team, whatever it is, this week. However they adjust it to find another way to bring a player into the pool. But that's already a huge disadvantage for them in Liga Mekis. So they have to find other ways, I would think, to make up that disadvantage. And the coach is a perfect place where you can do that. You can spend big money, bring in a good coach, and he can take a team that is less than and make them more than. You have to do that. To your point of about Cadena's resume, he was 50 years old before he got his first job where he was actually in charge, and that was at the at the reserve youth level for Chivas. His, this is his first, first team head coaching job. Chivas is way bigger than that. You can't be taking chances like this if you're Chivas and you've been struggling. For me, you have to get rid of Cadena. You can at least, with Pelaez, hold out hope. You can at least look to what you talked about at Cruz Azul and the huge successes at Club America and say, this guy has a track record. Cadena has no track record. You can easily do better than Cadena. Can you easily do better than Pelaez? I mean, what has Pelaez done for you? He literally let the owner handpick the coach. So that's well, your job. Then we're, Why then, we're there? Another, then we're having another conversation about should the owner go? No, 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 no. Is, but is, if you're Pelayas, what have you done to make this team better is what I'm trying to tell you. I mm. mean, you've sit there and let them do whatever they want with this team. So you have no where do you have to go anyways? And, and he's been there for what? Four, four years, three and a half, four years. No, three years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what they've gotten out of the time that Ricardo Pelayas has been there. All right, so we're talking about guys in suits and track suits right now. Let's talk about the players because they have uh, some guilt in all of this as well. Many signaling Alexis Vega as somebody who underperformed not just uh, in the repechaje, but also this season overall. Herc, you agree with that? I do to an extent. Um, I agree with that because if you look at the numbers, three goals, four assists isn't very impressive for a player that many say is one of the best in Liga MX. I mean, Larcamón went out and said he went as far as saying he's top three in Liga Mekis as far as players. I don't share the same sentiment. Um, I think he passes the eye test because the speed, because of the 
the goals he can score he plays every on once in a you while. Can say it. Because you can Chivas, say it. Because he plays yeah. on Chivas. Well, Chivas as well. Like, if you play in America, you're going to have more eyeballs on you. It makes sense. But if we look at his career trajectory, in the four and a half years that he's played first division in Liga MX, he's never eclipsed five goals, five assists mark in a season. He's never yeah. gotten more than that. I don't know about you, but I don't see big clubs around the world saying, I want those numbers. He's a very good player, yes, but I think sometimes we make Alexis Vega to be something that he's yes. not. And he's not going to be the guy that puts Chivas on his shoulders and changes things. Yeah, three goals, four assists. As, as you might say, oh, he underperformed. That's basically his average output like for a season. So it's not that bad. Uh, I'm interested uh, in what you say as far as Alexis Vega um, is concerned. You know, uh, our producer Beto, uh, we, we, we have our little our text chain back and forth. And he will say something all the time like, La Liga le queda chica. Which translated me as like the league is small for him. And there are Herc, definitely moments where Alexis Vega looks like he is better than 95, 90% of the players in Liga Mekis. But those moments are, are fleeting, right? They're not consistent. And for you to really dominate a league to the point where you're ready to go to the next level, it's not about dominating in moments. It's about consistency and showing up in the big games, which you can point to this weekend uh, and say clearly he did not. So for me, when we talk about is he ready for Europe, a season like this would make me have doubts. And if I spin it to the national team where they could definitely use an inform Alexis Vega, they're definitely not going to have that at the World Cup now. Now, it's going to be 41 days of Alexis Vega training, mm. uh, waiting to do something. And, and that's if he takes care of himself, because we've seen Chivas players in the news this last week <laughs> for not taking care of themselves be before Party a big game. Boys. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. I mean, it, was, it yeah. was a topic beforehand, it was a topic after, and that seems to be a growing sentiment. And Listen, Alexis Vega is a very good player, I will repeat. He mm -hmm. could be a very productive player, I will repeat. But he's not the game changer to put a team on his shoulders and you want to bank with. Very good player, yes. But if he's only a very good player, you need him to be informed. He doesn't have that luxury where he can step in, not playing in 40-something days, and kill it for you. If I'm Tata Martino, that worries me. All right, so Alexis Vega and Chivas then eliminated in the repechaje, the play-in rounds in Liga MX. Uh, what about the rest of the weekend's action? Let's get you caught up on all the great matchups that we saw. Uh, Tigres, your beloved Tigres with André Pierre Gignac uh, scoring twice to beat Necaxa. Uh, Jimmy Lozano fired, uh, by the way, as Necaxa ousted. Tigres played with 10 men from the 20th minute on after Aquino sent off. So this is a, a, a pretty impressive victory. Yeah, it, it was evened up a little after that, the 10-10, but Gignac with that free kick, I mean, he struck it very well. Malagón, I don't know what he was doing, but then one for good measure, diving header. Yeah, you see it, Gignac. Tigres advance, Cruz Azul, they do as well after they beat Leon 1-0. The goal came in the 72nd minute from Ignacio Rivera. The drama late in this one, though, Herc. I thought I was gonna get my prop bet from last week, a goal after the 76th minute. Leon thought they had a penalty, then VAR said, no, 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 no. Yeah, Nacho Rivero took care of business right there. This, to me, I think was properly called. It was off the leg, then to the arm. Uh, no penalty kick. It would have been your prop bet, but it's Cruz Azul advancing. So Cruz Azul advanced but suffered. Toluca advanced, don't suffer at all. They make easy work of Juarez. Three nothing winners. Camilo Sandeso, Carlos Gonzalez, Marcel Ruiz, your goal scores for Toluca. What a goal by Camilo Sandeso. Ex-Vancouver Whitecaps. How about that throwback? And then Charlie Gonzalez. Good, good thing he woke up 
We talk about Toluca, it's TSG. And how about this goal? Look at this <laughs> nastiness of a goal. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, Marcel Ruiz there, once one of the uh, young promesas of Mexican soccer getting the goal. Here's the Liga bracket now filled out as we've got the one through eight matchups. America Puebla, Pachuca Tigres, Rayados Cruz Azul, and Santos against Toluca. Herc, which of the higher seeds here do you think is most vulnerable, most likely to fall? Monterrey. There it is. There it is. Your pro Tigres ways. No, Actually, no, I'll give it no, to you. No. You've been saying this from the beginning of the season. I have. You have not had a lot of faith in, in Rayados. And they've been shutting me up all season because they're the third best offense. They're the best defense. Only 13 goals scored. They've got the better roster on paper. More star power. They're getting Funes Mori back. And they have one of the all-time winningest coaches on their team. So everything is in their favor. Yet I'm taking Cruz Azul to upset Rayados in this one. Why? Cruz Azul under Potro Gutierrez is a different team. Only one loss in eight. That loss, Cruz Azul. I'm sorry, against Monterrey. I mm -hmm. understand it was Monterrey, a 3-2 loss, but they're a different team. That doesn't team. worry you at all? No. That doesn't worry you at no, all? No, because they are a different team. They've mm -hmm. gotten Corona back to his level. He's playing unreal. They've gotten Eric Lira and Charlie Rodriguez to play well in the center of the field. They've gotten the best out of Antuna. Even though he keeps missing chances, he keeps creating havoc. This is a team that believes in themselves. And with Potro Gutierrez, it's like we're lucky to be here type of mentality. We have nothing to lose. That is dangerous for Rayados. And we've seen this movie before. Ooh, watch out. Mm. Yeah, and you talk about them being a different team in the 10 games before Potro took over, minus 13 goal differential in the six games, or in the, what is it, eight, uh, eight games since, yeah. they're plus six. So yeah. clearly like a, a very, very different team. They're on this winning streak. You are correct to point out their last loss did come against Rayados. I'll give you credit here. You've been consistent. You've been saying Monterrey was shaky from the beginning of the season, so I'm glad to see you uh, keep that pick here. Now, I think, the not the favorite, Right, But the higher seed most likely to fall is indeed Pachuca, which is the 4-5 matchup, so it's not really a, a wild pick here. Uh, this is less about Pachuca and more about Tigres, right? I have a lot of respect for Pachuca. This is a team that uh, anybody who knows anything about Club América will tell you is definitely worth respecting, especially in this round of La Liguilla. However, with what I just saw from Tigres, they go down a man 20 minutes in, and you're right. Uh, it's eventually level, but not till the second half. I thought for sure, man, Tigres was in trouble in that game. And the way that they held firm, and then to see, they have this, like, trump card, where you have Gignac. He is so good. That free kick golazo, I mean, that's, that's just a moment of genius that I don't know that Pachuca can replicate. I think, I think in these games, which are clearly going to be tight, I got to give the edge to Tigres. Do you agree with me? I don't, uh, for a few Ooh. reasons. Uh, You're turning your back. Reason number one is I actually picked Pachuca as champions before the season started. Mm -hmm. Reason number two is Pachuca owns Los Regios. Whether it's Rayados or Tigres, they flat out own them. You can go back and look at their history in finals and important games. They own Los Regios. Tigres has won once in the last eight against Pachuca. And Pachuca right now, to me, is a more informed team with the current Golden Boot winner in Nicolás Ibáñez. I would love it, but I think if there's a trump card against Tigres, mm. it's Pachuca. Okay. Uh, real quick on my beloved América. Any, any worries with Puebla? Yeah, a few. Uh, the time off for América and mm. how that will affect them. And that Puebla is a very difficult team 
to play against. They can surprise you, especially in transition. I know that they've only lost once in the last 13, or twice, I should say. Two of those losses, one of those losses was Club America. Uh, but they have to be feeling pretty high and mighty after what they did against Chivas again uh, in another playoff scenario. It's an uneasy feeling, but listen, they have to beat them. They can't tie because America has the table in their favor. All right, Herc, speaking of Mexican soccer, let's run it back El Tri style because we had a couple of players in the Mexican national team pool that scored over the weekend. Chucky Lozano for Napoli in a 4-1 win over Cremonense. It was his first goal of the season, and it came off the bench. He only played 17 minutes, Herc. Uh, that's all you need? 17 minutes? Listen, those, are gonna, those people out there are going to say it's a tap-in. It doesn't matter. Goals are goals, and you need them if you want to be confident. It's about confidence. He needs more confidence to get more playing time to do better when he's on the field. Napoli, of course, still top of the league. After the victory, they are two points ahead of second place, Atalanta. Johan Vasquez, a big, fat, hairy DNP in that game Excuse for Cremonense. Me? Meanwhile, Chicharito is on the scoreboard again as the Galaxy beat the Houston Dynamo 3-1 on Sunday, his 18th of the season. Ridiculous, nasty goal. Uh, lays it off in a space. Quintessential Javier Hernandez and outside the boot. Here's a look at Chicharito's recent hot streak. Pretty good timing as the MLS playoffs approach. And if there's a national team coach out there watching, pretty good timing for a World Cup as well. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. The USA falling 2-1 to one against England on Friday. Today, the team training in Pamplona ahead of tomorrow's game against Spain. The big news, Carson Pickett replacing Emily Fox on the roster. Fox was injured in the game against England. Here's more from today's session. First, we'll hear from Megan Rapino and then Rose Lavelle. How much time do we have? Uh, yeah, what is wrong with the system? Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, there's a severe lack of funding and resources, you know, across women's programs and teams and leagues and federations in the world. Also, without setting up the environment in a really professional way, you do leave that space for, you know, abuses of power. And there's already an existing power dynamic with coaches and players because in a club environment, especially if, you know, your club coach is also your general manager or your sporting director, they kind of have all of the power and they're the ones making the decisions whether you play or not. And they can always just say it's a football decision, even if it's not. In general, from a societal perspective, just the um, existing sexism and racism and misogyny and homophobia that exists just in general, I think, is um, existing in sport as well. So if you have no oversight of that, 
Um, you're going to continue to see the same issues in society that you see, uh, excuse me, the same issues um, in club environments that you see in society. And again, if there's no resourcing or, um, you know, the adequate departments put together to help protect the players and have those guardrails, um, you're, you know, we see what happens. Um, Wembley was a great experience for us. Obviously, it didn't end the way we would have liked, but um, I think it's... Um, an experience to grow and learn and help us uh, propel us into the next year going into the World Cup. All right, Herc. Uh, the U.S., as we mentioned, losing against England 2-1 on Friday. Just to clear it up, uh, Megan Rapino there talking about the situation with the Spanish women's national team. We'll get into that uh, in just a little bit, having a fight between the players, the coach, and the federation. It's ugly ahead of tomorrow's game between the two national teams. But as far as the USA and England, based on what we saw Friday, Herc, do you think the English have overtaken the Americans as the best women's team in world football? I don't know about that. It was, I can't go as far as to say it, though the field does convince me every time I see the U.S. women's national team play more. This was in Wembley. So home field advantage, unreal crowd played a, a factor, but the U.S. women's national team still had opportunities against this English side. That said, uh, and this was without Catalan Macario, this was without Alex Morgan, Mallory Pugh. That said, I often feel that this team hangs on to the tag of World Cup champions mm. in an unfitting manner. And what I mean by that, Seb, is how many of these current players were part of that 2019 yeah. World Cup winning team? And yeah, not only that... It's a huge that, turnover. Yeah, not only that, but how many of them today mm. are going to be important players in the 11? So it mm. seems to me, by name, you're hanging on to this. By, if you will, uh, just... Uh, history. 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 Thank you. You're hanging on to this, but not by actual moment, not because of yeah. merit, not because these players have shown you that. And you saw defensive lapses out of this very young U.S. women's national team that would make you worry. It's hard to say that a friendly signals like one team overtaking another, especially when, as you mentioned correctly, it's played not on a neutral site. In fact, in a very not neutral place, very much a home field advantage for the English. Uh, that said, there were, there were some like pretty stark statistics in this game, Herc. The U.S. was dangerous. You're right in saying that, especially in the first half. Uh, of course, the goal that Trinity Rodman scored disallowed, which would have made it 2-2, two to two, I think questionably disallowed. But the stats weren't there to back that up. There was only two shots on goal, and there was 31% possession, which is the lowest possession the U.S. has had since 2016. So in six years, that's not something we've seen from the U.S. So when I think of not necessarily just like England overtaking the U.S., but the world taking the U.S., we are, we are seeing something from the U.S. women's national team more and more that we haven't seen in the past, and that is... They're not dominating games. They're not dominating possession. In the past, they might lose, but they were still dominant. They are not dominant anymore, and, and that's a big worry for me. The other thing here is, and, and I love that you pointed out that it's a different team now than, than in 2019. So is this English team. Huh? Because remember, it was the U.S. that beat England in the semifinals, and if these teams end up squaring off next summer, you know England has the confidence, whether they've overtaken them now or not, to think to think that they can overtake them when it really matters most. And for me, that's a psychological edge that the U.S. has almost always had over their competition. These English players, they know they can win major tournaments. They know they can beat the U.S. The U.S. players, I don't know that they know that yet for large part to what you point out, which is 
it's a lot of different faces than it was when the U.S. were on top of the world back in 2019. All right, uh, let's move on to the Spain game, Herc. And the story here is that 15 players have refused to be called up for this international window over issues not just with Jorge Vilda, the head coach, the manager of the Spanish national team, but the federation as well. Given that, and the fact that you're coming off a loss to England, is the game tomorrow against Spain a must-win for this U.S. team, even though, even though it's a friendly? Well, yes, and more so because something you just touched upon is these players and their psyche, mentally, them thinking that they could win. They have to win when their backs mm. are against the wall. Perception really matters. You're talking about a team that's 15 players from uh, Spain that won't be there. Only two players were there in 2019 when they play faced the U.S. Uh, women's national team. This is a very much so a must-win game. If there ever was a must-win game in a friendly for the U.S. women's national team, but for themselves, for them to believe yeah. that they can go into a place that's not neutral territory and dominate. I really think they need that dominating win, at least for themselves, to back it up and to know that they could do it against European competition in Europe. Yeah. Won't be their last games of the year. We know we got the uh, two games coming up against Germany as well, but certainly want to end this international window on a positive note. Join us tomorrow to see if the U.S. can do it. They'll play Spain. Our coverage starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch on ESPN2 or streaming live on the ESPN app. All right, so that's the U.S. women. What about the Mexican women's national team? They were in action today against Chile. Charlene Corral has returned to the national team. Herc, you asked for and she's back. I mean, this is what you expect, right? Goals. This is what she gives you. Goals. Uh, Sharon Cola right there to Ordonez. It, it's a good little play. She's a dangerous player. I, I don't understand what took so long. Yep. So there you saw it. Uh, Diana Ordonez getting the goal. Uh, of course, having a great season with the uh, North Carolina Courage. Chile went up 1-0 on a goal that... Uh, is best safe for the Twitter account when playing out of the back goes wrong. But uh, in the end, Mexico and Chile share the honors in a 1-1 draw in international action. Hey, this is cool, Herc. Are you watching Welcome to Wrexham? Yeah. All right, I am as well. Well, you can actually watch Wrexham in the FA Cup with their game against Blythe Spartans Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern time on not just ESPN Plus right here, on ESPN2 as well. So you actually get to watch Wrexham live. I guess that kind of ruins the no spoilers uh, if you're following along uh, on Welcome to Wrexham, which I'm watching as well. Great show. Love it. Love it. Let's get him here. Okay. Ryan Reynolds. Right. Come on. Rob McElhenney, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll book some guests here uh, down the road sunny on Football on, America in Philadelphia. I dig it. We are, by the way. I mean, ESPN's putting them on on TV now. So the the first efforts from these guys to get Wrexham uh, more notoriety around the world certainly seem to be working. Uh, kudos to them I for the great work. I tried buying a jersey. It's all sold out. Really? Yes. Really? It's been That's sold crazy. out for a while. Um, hey, uh, Herc, can you show me what's on your shirt there, real quick? Because it, it's something kind of cool, yeah. There you the go. Greg Berhalter. It's your boy. That's him yelling at the fourth official or yeah. what? Who do you got right there? Who is that, Danny so, DeVito? No, no, no. This is Dave Johnson. He oh, is the uh, longtime play-by-play voice of DC United. Wanted to give a shout-out to him, the DC United local broadcast crew, and really all the local broadcast crews around Major League Soccer. Herc, we heard them call uh, what seems to be their last game for maybe ever, but at least the next 10 years as the TV deal goes over to Apple. Those folks have been great ambassadors for the league for the last the 27 years, and it'll be uh, sad to see them no longer calling games uh, on local television. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks for watching this edition of Football Americas. We'll be back on Thursday. Don't miss it.